Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing and more. I want to talk about two very iconic companies and see if we can learn anything from it. One of the companies... Disney. When you wish upon a star. The old whistle while you work. The happiest place on earth. Lyrics they're indelibly related to. Linked to forever Disney. Roy Disney. I remember growing up as a kid, six or seven years old. I was, you know, I lived overseas, so I didn't see a lot of Disney. But when a Disney movie came, like Escape from Witch Mountain, I had to see it. I had to. Something about that very beginning where they're showing the Magic Kingdom and the fireworks going off above it. It had me. You had me at hello. Oh, Tom Cruise. So, Steve Jobs was, I think he was like 50, early 50s, mid 50s when he died. Way too young, right? What would have happened if he stayed alive? He had already left Apple and come back. But before doing that, he started Next Software, of which he got Apple to buy his company. During his time away, he started Pixar, which he got Disney to buy that company. So he was a big shareholder of Disney. And they're very much so both icon makers, in my opinion. Last week, Bob Iger resigned from the board of Apple. And he's getting ready to release his book, where he talks about... Had Steve Jobs been alive, we would have combined our companies or at least discussed the possibility very seriously, he writes. The streaming wars are heating up. It would be interesting to see Apple with Disney's, Pixar's, Marvel's, Star Wars content. Because that's what Apple's all about, the best of the best. Disney, in theory, is about the best of the best. I don't know if I can totally say that, but... You know one thing that has me a little weirded out by Disney recently? Uh, one of the things I do when I can't sleep well is I'll, I'll turn on ESPN because I really don't care about sports. So I, I don't find it interesting. And I kind of just fall asleep to a very uninteresting conversation. And I turn it down far enough so it doesn't wake me up if someone starts screaming or anything like that. But you get the idea. One of the things that it, it kind of shocked me about Disney... Disney owns ESPN, by the way. And made my head scratch when I started thinking about they're promoting gambling hardcore at this point in time. Seems like a very Disney, un-Disney thing to do. But I'm not going to let that get in the way of a good story. So the streaming wars are heating up, and it does leave you to think, what if Apple did buy Disney back when they could have bought Disney with all the cash that they had and when Disney was struggling for a while? By this time next year, AT&T's Warner Media division 
Comcast, NBC's Universal, Walt Disney, and Apple have released brand new streaming video services. Taking on the existing challengers, the existing not challengers, uh, the existing champions, I suppose you would say, or the incumbents, Amazon with Prime, Prime TV, CBS has got a streaming service out there, Hulu and Netflix. So this time next year, there's going to be one, two, three, it's going to be double, right? It's going to be the Hunger Games for the streaming services. But it still makes me think of what would have happened if Apple bought Disney. We would have had an iMickey instead of an iPhone. Oh, for the record, Disney just announced that they're going to have over 200 plant-based products for kids to eat at all the Disneyland resorts by November or something like that. That's how big that story's gotten. Uh, As more technology companies enter the television arena, they're hampered by a lack of content. So, in the end, are you going to use Netflix that has 12,000 movies and TV shows? Or are you going to use Disney or uh, Apple that has nine? It's a good question. So, the tech companies are entering the television arena. Google TV, for instance, is out there. But they're hampered by a lack of content. Inversely, old school media companies have struggled to attract tech-savvy cord cutters onto digital platforms. That's why Iger and Disney waited so long. Disney delayed its streaming ambitions before throwing billions and billions and billions into it. Whereas Tim Cook and Steve Jobs looked at TV as a hobby that ultimately became an area of intense interest. So Disney's Bob Iger resigns from Apple's board because they're going to be competitors in a couple months. And if he's in those board meetings, he's going to learn all about their product. and That's not right. Netflix CEO Reed Hastings says it's a whole new world starting in November with Disney+. Plus. It's true. Netflix stock is down 40, 40 plus percent from its all-time highs. How you like me now? Now, the good news is for you and me, we're winners here. Because we're going to get new shows, new movies, probably new gadgets at lower prices. Roku's stock tanked after being the darling of the cord-cutting revolution, when Comcast said, we'll give away a streaming device for free. It's like, oh, no. Now, I think Roku should be valued on other than just hardware, but that's a different topic for a different day. So it should be good for us. Facebook introduced something called a portal TV device. Can't you just be Facebook? Do you have to ruin everything? Facebook entered the living room with video chat focused TV box. They upgraded its portal video chat devices with a new model for TVs and lower prices. It also said users can opt out of the company accessing voice recordings collected by the hardware. There's the portal TV, the portal, the portal mini. Facebook's trying to break into the crowd at smart speaker market as well. Doesn't it all seem like we're all kind of bumping into each other at this point in time? AT&T is considering spinning off DirecTV. Facebook's coming out with Portal TV device again. Roku shares tanked on renewed fears of set-top box distinctiveness and what can make them more powerful. I waited this year until recently when Roku basically announced nothing all that special except for a better remote to see if they were going to come out with better hardware. 
NBC has said we got a, a Netflix rival coming soon in 2020 called Peacock. Tender said they're going to get into building original content. That just makes me ill. I don't know what's wrong with that, but it's just something's wrong with it. So the Disney War would have been an amazing joint venture. And they should have formed that joint venture a long time ago because Apple would have sold more phones and Disney would have sold more, more videos. Apple has announced that their streaming service is going to come free for a year to buyers of the new hardware. So they're going to have 70 million subscribers to their streaming service by Christmas. Disney will get to about 10 million by Christmas, 20 million maybe at the end of next year. And then we get the -the over-the-top packages from HBO as well. I forgot to mention them, but they're tied towards Time Warner. So kind of a mutual underestimation on both sides at the high of the dot-com bubble on... Do media companies need tech companies, and do tech companies need media companies? Disney's the ultimate media juggernaut with Lucasfilm, Marvel Entertainment, Disney, and Pixar films. And they also bought a lot of the catalog from 21st Century Fox. Apple is the ultimate tech firm. What What a powerhouse they could have been. It's not meant to happen. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Consumers, this is going to be a big duh statement, should avoid e-cigarettes. So says the CDC. Duh. U.S. consumers should avoid all vaping products as health officials struggle to identify the cause of a deadly vaping illness that's killed nine people and made hundreds more ill in recent months. The CDC and prevent uh, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention told lawmakers at a hearing, like, hey, we can't really recommend this. Jewel, talking about trying to protect their butts, they're saying, well, Congress, can you shut down anyone who's making... Cartridges that go into our vaping products, but not our cartridges. Okay. A lot of these, uh, I don't know what to say about it other than glad I don't own any Philip Morris or Altria or Jewel. Because it does not look good right now. The headlines are tough. And that's kind of a headline risk that you're going to run into on occasion. Does that make sense? There's currency risk. There's headline risk. There's there's earnings risk. Competitive risks. Uh, Microsoft worth $1.06 trillion market cap. Wow. Amazon, $883 billion. So some good vibes going on with them. Nothing seems to be pushing them all that much higher. I got my Zillow update on my property in the Bay Area, and it continues to fall. At its height, I once got an email that said, Psst, you could sell your house for $2.1 million. Now it's saying, Psst, you could sell your house for $1.7 million. That's a material amount of money. And uh, it's interesting because on Zillow, I could see my neighbors are parked in my parking space. What up with that? 
because they take the Google Street picture and superimpose it kind of thing. Anyway, I'm totally digressing. So uh, not good to do Juul, not good to vape, so it says the CDC, although they did not mention Juul by name. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Nike traders are betting that the athleisure stock, do you think of Nike as an athleisure? will climb 8% in the next month. I own shares of Nike. Could the stock be ready to run? Run. So um, calls are outpacing puts by 2 to 1. Very bullish for the stock at this point in time. Um, Looks like $90 in the future for Nike. Again, a great long-term blue chip name. Do you own any blue chips? Do you like blue chips? Or are you one of those people that just can't possibly own something that everyone knows about? One area that I'm a little freaked out with uh, companies like Nike is how much they pay athletes. Some of those deals have to be awesome, and some of those deals have to be... But athleisure is a thing. There's a theory out there, and I don't... I hate theories. I hate talking about them on the air. But Jeffries, it's a big research analyst company, and they're they're bringing up the old economic theory that when the baby boomers start pulling money out of the markets, it's going to trigger a decade-long slump in equity prices. Despite the expectations for mass 401k cash-outs, their analysts are saying that the theory is overblown and foreign investment can make up for the retiree selling. You know, one thing I will say about the U.S. markets, and this is one of those areas where if I'm drunk enough, if I'm high enough, if I'm exhausted enough, I could say something stupid like, you don't really need to invest in Europe. They're too much socialist. They don't, have, they don't pay their CEOs grotesque amounts of money. They don't do grotesque amounts of buybacks. Like, that's a very American thing. But that's not good investment advice. Um... Uh, with workers over the age of 55 representing 24% of all U.S. employees, investors have been trying to figure out what's going to happen when all these people stop working and stop contributing to a 401k. On top of that, start pulling out of their 401k. So instead of buying stocks every two weeks, they may be selling stocks every month. So, but again, the theory is that other countries will step up and invest here because of my reverse theory that you don't really need to invest in Europe because their markets aren't quite as capitalist as ours. I once uh, was doing Fox Business. I, I did Fox Business, I did CNBC, and I did Bloomberg when I lived on the East Coast, all the television shows. And on Fox Business, it was kind of funny because I was in the green room with... I've told you that my green room story with Steve Forbes, but I won't, I'll tell that one another day. But this is with a guy named Jonathan Koning, I think. Koenig? And uh, he plays a character called the Capitalist Pig. <laughs> and sure enough, he has a pig's nose. That's upsetting to me. I wear polo hoodies, Nike sneakers, diesel blue jeans, and cheap t-shirts. That's my uniform. I will never be caught dead in a pig's nose. Maybe I, maybe I would be caught dead in a big nose. Artie Lang, formerly of uh, the Howard Stern Show, told a story when he was on Fox's Saturday Night Live show. What was that called? Mad TV? That he had a cocaine problem. And 
he had a big skit that weekend where he was in makeup dressed as a pig for whatever reason. He said he, he, he was doing cocaine through a pig nose, through a prosthetic pig nose. <coughs> and people on the street were looking at him like, what's wrong with this guy? First of all, what's up with that nose? He had to go like to the bathroom or something. Like He had to go into the public. But I always found that kind of funny. So analysts now are starting to cut their price targets on Netflix. Interesting, right? They didn't do it when stock was at a high. But Pivotal Research just cut their price target on Netflix from $515 to $350 as they see growing competition with Disney+. Plus. We've only been talking about that for a long time. One analyst says Netflix could fall as low as $230 a share. I'm getting very interested in Netflix. It's dramatically, dramatically underperformed its technology peers, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, and Alphabet. That's when I, I find things interesting. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and Your Money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Mr. Producer, let me know if Mr. O'Hare is online. I didn't hear. Oh, I did hear the connection. Let's go to Patrick O'Hare, briefing.com. Mr. O'Hare, how are you doing? Hey, good morning, Rob. I'm doing fine. Thanks. Good to be back with you. Good to be back. Uh, every time you come on, I, I start looking at the calendar. I'm like, okay, September. End of September. Uh, Christmas is coming. Are, are we going to have a good Christmas? Are we going to rally? Because it looks like the market's trying to get there, but the conviction doesn't seem to have CNBC and Bloomberg guests convinced, if that makes any sense. Well, I think it probably breaks down to uh, thinking that, you know, there could be, you know, a good Christmas economically speaking, but that doesn't necessarily have to translate into a, a good Christmas uh, as, a re, you know, as it relates to the stock market necessarily. Um, it, you know, the, the, the foundation is in place for, you know, the consumer to, uh, to show up, so to speak, and, and to spend, um, you know, pretty openly as we, you know, get into this holiday uh, selling period, and that should translate into pretty good sales growth. Um, however, uh, the market being a forward-looking indicator, of course, is uh, can you know sometimes and will uh, jump ahead uh, in terms of uh, discounting what it thinks might come, say, six months after Christmas. And uh, you know the future is inherently uncertain. We've talked about this before, um, but in this day and age, it seems more uncertain than ever. And the market's going to start looking, you know, further into two. 2020, obviously, the, the closer we get to the end of 2019, and what it's going to see there, obviously, is this big old election sitting there uh, in November and the understanding that you're going to have a, a pickup in politicking uh, going on, um, you know, throughout 2020. And you're going to see the market, I think, you know, rise and fall based on prevailing expectations as to who might be the eventual victor in that uh, presidential election. And so, um, you know, right. Right now, uh, again, the, you know, the market is, is, can, is sitting near all-time highs. You know, continues to 
to have this abiding hope that everything's going to work out a-okay, uh, and that includes the trade negotiations with China. And uh, but there's no closure there yet. So um, you know, so the consumers just kind of you know doing it, doing their thing. Um, you know, to re- reiterate, has good foundation to to spend uh, pretty pretty openly here in the holiday selling season. Uh, but uh, but we just don't know, you know, what's coming down the pipe there as it relates to the trade uh, outlook and or the uh, election. And so that's going to create some volatility, I think, that, uh, you know, might make things a little more challenging for the stock market. Certainly interesting times. Um, moving into earnings season, um, right before the Christmas holiday shopping season. These are big times right now. Um, inside your page one, which I dig, um, it's a great way to start the morning. You talk a little bit about China and the U.S. and Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, and there seems to be a lot of confusion in Washington these days about who said what and who promised what. And any thoughts on will this China-U.S. thing get get resolved? If you're a betting man, are you, are you angling that way? You know, I'm 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 not. You know, I think that uh, you know. I, Given the, the you know the cultural divide, I, you know, you know China has a long-standing history of being able to you know stick things out and take pain a lot longer, I think, than uh, uh, than Americans do. Uh, and you know, I think that you know President Xi is going to continue to take a pretty hard line there and not really acquiesce and look weak in the face of U.S. demands to basically transform the entire way that China chooses to do its business and to uh, and to codify that in in the laws within China. China. Um, you know, that that's just not going to happen easily and readily, I don't believe, uh, particularly if President Xi is, is uh, perhaps, you know, anticipating a change in leadership in the United States. Uh, and so, um, could there be some sort of uh, overture that, you know, kind of it looks like things are are, are going to be resolved in a partial manner, maybe. But you know, the president just said uh, moments ago in his speech at the UN General Assembly that he he wants a complete deal, uh, and uh, and he's thinking in, in political terms too. And that uh, you know, if he were to kind of bow out with only a partial deal, uh, he risks upsetting his base of supporters too, as he as he looks uh, potentially uh, soft or or uh, on on this matter of trade, or at least not going the distance like he promised he would to get that complete deal. So a lot of political nuance involved here uh, and certainly a lot of uh, cultural nuance involved here. And, and they probably at the root of it all is really, uh, you know, pride at stake for both for both men. <laughs> oh, I think the Bible says something about pride, but it's not a good ending or something like that. <laughs> um, and I'm not going to go into the Bible. Um, <laughs> take a look at some of your notes um, I see some big names in your uh, page one. Microsoft in the news at a trillion dollar valuation, capitalization. Amazon in the news at $883 billion. Um, there's been a lot of talk recently about the Apples, the Alphabets, the Microsofts, and Amazons. Maybe there's a rotation from these big momentum names, these big growth names. Um, do you see that happening, or is the cult of what's working now going to win out, or... Uh, any thoughts? I know they're all different. Apple's got probably a better valuation tied towards it. Google's got a lot of legal issues. Microsoft seems to be on a roll. Amazon's got a, a feud with Trump going pretty aggressively between Bezos and Trump. 
Um, are all these the same, or, or is it time to rotate out? What, what are the tea leaves telling us? Well, I think you, you did touch on something there, Rob, when you said, you know, kind of what's the cult of working now. Uh, you know, there's yep. been a constant rotation within the stock market uh, on this trek to, you know, the doorstep of all-time highs. And, um, you know, there was a clear, uh, you know, I think pretty much tactical uh, trade that was, you know, put in place a few weeks ago when you saw that massive outperformance of the value stocks versus the high multiple growth stocks. Um, you know, uh, there's there's concentration risk in terms of owning the Apples and the Googles and the Microsofts and the Amazon because those stocks have worked so well for so long and they're you know owned far and wide and um, you know by many fund managers who who realize that they can't afford not to be in them at this point because they move the market and um, and it's it's you know going to be a case you know sounds cliche, I guess, but, uh, you know, it works until it doesn't. And uh, the risk, though, because they are so widely owned uh, across so many funds, uh, is that when they, when they really don't work and, and, and they do more than just consolidate, they actually trade off sharply, um, you know, that's going to factor greatly in terms of uh, the performance of the major indices, especially if it comes within the context of a very weak growth environment, um, yeah, you'll get some rotation to some other, you know, um, areas, but, uh, but if that uh, weak growth environment uh, effectively leads to, you know, to a, uh, an earnings uh, uh, decline of, of, of magnitude and, and potentially a bear market, then, you know, nothing's going to be safe necessarily in that, in that context. So, um, you know, so right now you know if you if you, you see these um the data that's coming in uh you know a better better than expected notwithstanding today's consumer confidence report um you know you can you can see some potential for the for those value based stocks or those stocks with less demanding valuations to continue to attract some interest but you know i think as we look ahead, you know the growth outlook is 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 challenged, and uh, you know, and as you see, uh, and it's challenged, you know, just by virtue of demographics in one sense. But um, so when you see a, a period where you have a slower growth environment, you're likely to see the continued gravitation and outperformance of of those growth stocks. Um, but um, but right now, yeah, it just is kind of one of those uh, periods where they're not as uh, as popular as they used to be, uh, but they're hanging in there, and that's helping the uh, the market to hang in there uh, at these uh, you know all time highs or close to them. I hope you get a laugh out of this next statement. Will you hold my hand when the markets go bad and some of these big names are falling apart? Because I'm going to need <laughs> I'm going to need a little confidence backdrop so that I can convey that message to listeners. I looked at the Netflix today. And it's down big for the year, and mm-hmm. everyone wanted to own it, and suddenly no one's asking me if they should own it because they see Disney Plus, they, they see all the negatives now that they couldn't see then. Um, it's been a while since we've had a, a negative psychology, a really pervasive negative psychology, and we're seeing it in one stock that used to be beloved, so to speak, Netflix. Well, that's right, Robin, and you know, you know, it's a good kind of microcosm of what maybe could potentially happen if if you get into a really you know bad period, and that's why you don't 
you don't wait for that to happen, right? You know, now's the time when you have a market yeah. that's trading at a pretty full valuation, and you know everything in terms of the labor market indicators are about you know as good as they've been on on record. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's a time now where you start to think about, okay, you know, maybe I should look at some of those stocks that have had huge runs, like the Netflix, you know, um, you know, those story stocks, the Beyond Meats and things like that, you know, and, and, and you know, take something off there and, and then also look at your equity component of your investment portfolio and, you know, is it too overweighted to the Microsofts and the Apples and the like or too overweighted in technology and, and really make sure you've got some proper diversification there so that when you get into a more challenging um, earnings and economic environment and stock market environment, uh, the pain is not as, as severe as it would be otherwise. And that's why I read your column, and I trust briefing.com so much. It's Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com, a great source of domestic and international news and content tied towards the financial markets, I believe, that's not biased. You can check it out for yourself at briefing.com. I'm Rob Black. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. I was hinting at this recently in the show, that Beyond Meat and Impossible Burgers aren't healthy. And I've started seeing a lot of media reports where... Experts from the meat industry. I know you're saying the meat industry. That's right. And nutritionists are saying that the burgers really aren't that healthy for you. Of course, that's what the meat industry is going to be saying, right? So we, we throw that one out. But nutritionists are saying it. And I, I think the point is that it's, it's really not the point. That It's not really about health. If you're wanting a nutritious, heart-healthy meal, you'd eat vegetables and whole grains and fruits and all the other stuff. There's healthy stuff out there. This is people, in my opinion, who are trying to change you know, animal welfare and the costs of doing business, of you know, global warming and the, the footprint, so to speak. I throw that out there for a second time in large part because... Once you get the psychology, you may get the idea for investing. It's, you know, the psychology of technology. Don't you think there's something there that we used to have to have the new iPhone? And we used to, like, wait. Like, I can't wait till September 10th. They're going to be showing us their goods on September 10th. I wonder what it's going to be. I wonder if it's going to have a laser. Got a question. Lots of questions about... um, Buying duplexes and real estate as an investment. First and foremost, what I would do is start doing a lot of homework. Look at vacancy rates. Look at, look at average rents. I'm not against the idea. If you've maxed out your 401k, if you have an emergency fund, I'm okay with the idea of looking for investment property. I don't like the idea of doing it in Memphis, Tennessee. Because you've maybe never even been been to Memphis. Real estate is really a mix between a stock where you invest for appreciation and a bond where you invest for a coupon. In most markets, you're getting cash flow on a monthly basis. It 
it's important not to have any emotional baggage when you look at real estate. You can't say, you know, my daddy lost the farm. I'm afraid. And you also can't say everyone. I know millionaires who, who bought real estate. Sometimes you can be stupid and make good money. So one of the things I want you to do is do your research. It's important to get into the weeds when researching investment properties. When I was 20 years old, I decided I wanted to buy a rental property in Raleigh, North Carolina, because it was right smack in the middle of the research triangle. And I guess I was a little bit older than 20, but that's about all the research I did. (laughs) I'd been to Raleigh before as a drunk college student, but not as a guy who was looking for housing or golf courses or perks that may draw, you know, a good someone to buy my home from me one day. Good school system, for instance. Laws governing rental properties vary considerably from state to state and from town to town. So you got to do homework on that. You want to set aside a cash cushion if you're going to be investing in real estate for maintenance costs and legal fees that are bound to happen. Some sort of stress will happen. You'll get hit with a squatter. Something will happen where someone comes into your investment property and falls down the stairs. And my brother David was a personal injury attorney before he became a judge. And the way he described it is like, you know, on occasion there'll be an 18 year old girl whose dad takes her out and buys her a lot of drinks, her and her three friends. And they get trashed. They proceed to get in the car. They crash a car into another person. My brother David said, you know, so here I am trying to bury four, four girls for ultimately $100,000 or whatever the insurance company is going to give. And you can't do it. The math just doesn't add up. So you have to sue the bar, the bartender, the car maker. You have to check to see if the state was doing work on the roads at the time. And you have to kind of bundle it all together sometimes. So I want you to have a cash cushion because you are going to get sued at some point in time. And it's not going to be because you did anything wrong, because you're going to be attached to it. Now, the other side of, of buying a rental is you have to understand a lot of the people that are going to sell you the information about how great it is. They, they're the mortgage company, or they've made a, a deal with the developer. If you listen to our commercials here on the radio station, there's a, a development in the East Bay that's selling new homes. Well, we're not marketing and advertising it for them for free. They're paying us. It's a paid relationship. It's a commercial relationship, right? So in any sort of real estate transaction, a lot of money is made by the people in between. Am I happy that I have a rental home? Sure. It's worked out well. I, I have a great property management company that has saved me a lot of headache. Am I happy that it's in an area that's cheaper? Mm, yes and no. When things go bad, it's not that expensive. So when the roof needs to be redone, it's not $10,000 automatically because you live in a pricey zip code. So elsewhere in the world of real estate today, home price growth is unchanged. I kind of see this as a neutral. It's not a winner or a loser. But if you take a look, the hottest cities for home appreciation were Phoenix, Las Vegas, and Charlotte. Phoenix and Las Vegas, last time I checked, are deserts. Charlotte's a great city. They don't have a lot of industry there. 
Phoenix up 5.8% year-over-year. Vegas up 4.7%. Charlotte saw a 4.6% increase. Seattle down again. Interesting, right? Annual price decline. San Francisco, L.A., and New York barely in the positive. That's good because San Francisco, L.A., and New York had a great 10-year run from 2006, 2008 to about 2016, 2017, 2018 in that area. So I think real estate should pause and, and, and digest their gains for a while, two or three years. I know that doesn't make me popular. I'm not looking to be popular. I'm looking to get you to retirement. Find me online at roblockshow.com.